Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. We're going to go ahead and uh, kind of get into our sermon time. Um, but before I do that, uh, go ahead and open your books to or your Bibles to the book of Esther, and we're going to be in chapter 5. Um, and while you're turning there, I do have a few announcements. Um, please don't forget to send in your tithes to Miss Deborah if you're not here. Um, we've been mailing them in to her, and if you need more information, if you need her address, um, you can uh, let, let us know, and we'll get that to you. Um, we are back in the building, um, but if you're still not comfortable meeting here with us, yeah. um, if uh, we're back in the building, if you're not here with us, that's fine. Uh, we're still going to continue streaming. Um, last week, we were supposed to have a family business meeting after our service was over, um, but we had to postpone that till this week. Again, if you're not with us um, here in the building, that's fine. I've provided a Zoom link um, for you. Um, I will reshare that again when we're about to start the sermon, uh, when, when we're about to start the meeting. Um, that way, we can try to get as many people uh, attending as possible. Um, Along with that, uh, last week when Keith and Talia were here, we took up a, lo- uh, a love offering for them. Um, this week, we're going to take up another love offering, um, but it's going to be for um, Sam and Linda and, and their family, trying to help them get through um, all this that they're going to have to go through um, and with um, uh, providing for a, a funeral and everything. Um, so we're going to uh, have another plate at the back at the end of service today for that. Um, also, if you... Um, are not going to be here, but you want to send in that um, money to Miss Deborah, you can do that as well. Um, just mark on your check or in the envelope that this will be for the love offering for them. Um, I think that about covers all the announcements this morning, um, and that probably has hopefully given everybody enough time to get to the, uh, to the, the Esther chapter 5. But I, oh, here it is. I have misplaced my clicker. Got my clicker now. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our sermon time. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we've had a lot of tears. But Father, I pray that you will help us to find comfort as we open up your word. Help us, Lord, to to find comfort in you and to find our wisdom in you. Lord, we know that that you love us and that that you treat us with love. Father, sometimes things happen in this world that we just don't understand. So Father, we, we approach your word with humility this morning with an open heart, with an open mind, Lord. So I just pray that you will help us to, to find our comfort in you and to find your truth and to help us to apply that truth to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, well, if you're new to Victory, uh, we typically will go through a single book of the Bible um, and, and try to gain all of that context and everything all together at, at, at the same time um, throughout that series. Uh, we're currently doing something a little bit different. We're going through a series of books um, they all came about uh, around the same time. And these are the post-exilic texts. They're called the post-exilic texts because they came about uh, when the, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem after they were exiled. So post-exile, the post-exilic texts. Um, and we're going through Ezra, Haggai, Esther, uh, Zechariah, Nehemiah, and Malachi in this series. And it should take all of this year. So we are about halfway through this series. Hopefully, it hasn't felt as long as our Acts series did. Uh, This morning, we are in Esther chapter 5, and we're titling this, All in God's Timing. And uh, so the main idea in this passage is don't rush God's plan. God has a plan for us, and we need to be obedient to that plan and His timing and, and we don't rush his plan. And we see that kind of played out in, in three different portions of this text, or I've kind of broken the text up into three smaller chunks. Uh, the first part is where Esther approaches the king. 
The second part is a delay of Esther's request, so she doesn't give that request right away. And the third part, I'm uh, kind of call it uh, hang, uh, Haman the Hangman. And so we'll go ahead and get started uh, right into uh, verse 1. So Esther, 5, chap- uh, Esther chapter 5, verse 1. It says, On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its interest. entrance. Going to verse 2. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor with him. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So we see the text says, or it opens this chapter with the words, on the third day. So if you remember, Esther asked Mordecai to have all the Jews fast with her, um, with her and for her. And this fast came about because Haman had written a law uh, prescribing the genocide of all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire on a very specific day. Then Mordecai, the Jew, asked Queen Esther, who was secretly a Jew, to approach the king to ask that the law be reversed. Now Esther was scared. Because if you were to approach the king, the the Persian king, if you were to approach him without him requesting your presence, that could mean the death penalty for you. And so Esther was a little bit scared. And so she asked Mordecai uh, to have all the Jews fast for her and with her. So now we are three days into that fast. Now, we're not told this specifically, but apparently during this fast, God reveals a plan to Esther, but it's going to take a few days to implement. Now, I say this because... Esther seems to be quite sure of what she's supposed to be doing next throughout the rest of this book. But up until this point, Esther was just kind of following directions from other people and not really sure what she was supposed to do. But now Esther seems sure as to what she's supposed to do, and she follows that plan with confidence. Uh, So it seems like through this fast, God has revealed some plan to her. But, uh, you know, this is actually pointing to the main theme of this book. Uh, the book of Esther, the main theme of the book of Esther is that even though you may not actually see God in action, that doesn't mean that he's not working behind the scenes. Often God works behind the scenes in ways that we don't see or ways that we don't expect to implement his will into our lives. Throughout this whole book, God is never mentioned, but there are a lot of coincidences that bring about his will. Esther just spent three days fasting and praying, and well, since she's a Jew, We don't have any question as to who she was praying to or why she was fasting. We know that she was fasting and praying to God for wisdom and direction and courage. Now, she probably doesn't understand all of God's plan, but she knows her role to play in it. And she does so without hesitation, but also without rushing the plan, as we'll see throughout this chapter and the next two chapters. But I think that lesson is a good lesson for Christians today. See, though we may not understand all of God's plan, we do know our role to play in it. We should be faithful to that role, both without delay, but also without rushing God. What? You mean you don't know God's plan? Well, let me tell you God's plan. See, God tells us his plan in Scripture. It all started with creation. Back in Genesis 1, God created the world to reflect his beauty and his goodness back to him. He created us to be in perfect relationship with him, to be in perfect relationship with each other, and perfect relationship with the rest of the world. But we look around us and we see events happening and we feel the pain of relationships in our lives and we, we see just senseless killing and, and it hurts. And so we wonder what happened, what went wrong, because our world now does not reflect God's glory in the way that it was intended to. Our relationships are broken. Our relationships with each other are broken. And our relationship with God is broken. Why is that? Well, that's because of sin. The Bible tells us a lot about sin. And sin is any time that we go against God's design in our life. 
That's as simple as that. God has a will for us, and anytime we go against that will, that's sin. And that sin is what has broken these relationships. Sin is what leads us down this path of evil. And that's all because of sin. That's, that's what went wrong. But what, what do we do about it? Is there any hope? Well, yeah, there is hope. But there's nothing that we can do on our own. We cannot fix this brokenness on our own. So God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to take the punishment for our sin, to reconcile our relationships to him first, but also to each other and with the rest of creation. But again, we look around and we see, even though Jesus has come and he has uh, restored some relationships, it's not perfect yet. It's not restored back to the way it was in creation, but it will be. When Jesus comes back, we read about this in Revelation and several other times throughout Scripture, but specifically in Revelation. When Jesus comes back, he will establish his perfect kingdom. His perfect kingdom, where he will reign supreme and evil will be defeated. That's God's plan. That's God's plan for all of history. And we know our role to play in it. Or do you? Do you know your role to play in God's plan? Well, it's simple. Your role to play in God's plan is twofold. First, your role is to surrender to him, to believe in him for your salvation. Not, to, not just simply to believe that Jesus existed, or not simply to believe that he lived and, and, and died on the cross and was resurrected. That's not enough, but you have to believe in him for salvation. Not just believe that he existed or that he did all these things, but believe that what he did is good enough for your salvation, and that without him, there's nothing you can do to fix it. To believe in him for your salvation. That's, that's the first part of your plan, or your part in God's plan. Your second part in God's plan is to make disciples. Jesus tells us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the second part of our, or that, that's our, the second, our second responsibility in our part in God's plan, is to take the message of Jesus, the good news of what he's done for us, out to the world and share it with them, so that when Jesus comes back to establish his perfect kingdom, there will be more residents in that kingdom. So, you might say, well, I, I don't really know what, what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're, you're praying to God and asking for his will in your life, and you're just, you feel like you're, your prayers aren't going past the ceiling, you know, maybe step back and say, well, am I being obedient in those two first? Because that's step one and step two. And if we're not doing step one and step two, I wouldn't expect God to give us step three. All right, so there's step one and step two. All right, anyway, let's get back to the story of Esther. And uh, so we see that Esther comes to the king, and he invites her in. So what happens next? So um, the king says, what is it, Queen Esther? Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you. Now, on a quick side note, um, on my, in my, um, my daily Bible reading plan that I'm doing with some of my coworkers, we came across the, the passage where um, uh, King Herod um, makes this same promise to his uh, daughter-in-law. Um, and he said, or not daughter-in-law, his, uh, I think it was his stepdaughter. And he says, you know, what, uh, whatever you want, I'll give it to you for up to half the kingdom. Now, that, that sounds like a, an awfully big promise. But we'll continue here in uh, verse 4. It says, if it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, 
Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be done. So Esther answered, This is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. So let me summarize. Esther delays her request. Instead of going ahead and asking the question, she's prepared a banquet for the king and Haman, and she invites them to come. The king asks what this request is, and she says, well, you know, I'm not going to ask you just yet. I've got another party that I'm going to invite you to. You can come back tomorrow for a party. Now, as I read this, a couple of things that, that really just make me scratch my head. Well, she invites Haman. Why in the world would she invite Haman? Haman, this is the guy who's plotting to kill Esther and all of her people. Haman, the guy who hates Esther's adoptive father, Mordecai. This is the enemy of the Jews, the descendant of King Agag, who would not let the Jews pass through his land, even though they said, we'll come through peaceably. He says, no, you can't do that. I'm going to go to war with you. Haman, the descendant of Agag, the enemy of the Jews, and he's trying to kill all of them, and yet she invites him to her banquet. We're not told why she does that, uh, but it may be because she knows that he's paranoid vengeful and impulsive, um, and, and she doesn't want him to, be, to feel left out and, and do something else that would be even more violent. Um, I, I don't know if that's the case, but honestly, what I think is the actual case of what's going on, um, and I think this is more the case, God told Esther to invite Haman, so she does it. She, doesn't, she probably doesn't know why God said to invite Haman, but he said to do it, so she does it. Then the second thing about this passage that jumps out as odd to me is the delay in Esther's request. She has the favor of the king, so why not just ask him now? Why make him wait another day and risk possibly losing favor of the king uh, because of this delay? And again, we're not told for sure why she does this, but we do know that the king likes to party and the king likes to drink and he likes to make decisions, big decisions, when he's been partying and drinking. So maybe she's trying to wind him up a little bit to help him make that decision. We're not told that. But here's another option, and I think this, again, is probably the more the case. God told Esther to wait, so she does. She probably doesn't understand why God told her to wait, but she does it anyway because she's being obedient to the plan that God has given her. All right, now there's a phrase for this tactic, this waiting. It's called tactical patience. And the first time I heard this phrase is from Mark Clifton. He's the senior director of replanting um, of, at the North American Mission Board. Um, he talks about tactical patience when you're um, revitalizing a church. You might have all these big plans for, for a church and all these things that you want to do, but then you come in and you try to make all these changes, and all of a sudden things aren't going the way you think they should be when maybe you just need to hold off a little bit and think change takes time. You know, I've heard it said that we overestimate what we can do in one year, but underestimate what we can do in five years. So tactical patience sometimes means just grinding away and being patient and being obedient to what we're supposed to be doing now and waiting for God to show us what we're going to do next. Um, the other time I, heard, I came across this phrase was in a book called No Hero, The Evolu Evolution of a Navy Seal. So in there, he talks about tactical patience. Um, tactical patience is waiting to act because you have a good reason to wait. It's not the same as procrastination. See, procrastination is waiting to act for no good reason at all. You're just putting it off till later. But tactical patience is waiting to act because you have a good reason to. In the book No Hero, tactical patience meant waiting to assault a target so that they could gain more intelligence about it and, and not make any careless mistakes. 
tactical patience for Esther means waiting to make her request because God told her to wait. That's hard to do sometimes. But let's see what that patience gets her. So we'll continue reading in verse 9. It says, That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage towards Mordecai. Now, if you remember, Haman was already mad at Mordecai for basically the same thing, for failing to honor him. So this just insults Haman's pride even more. We'll keep reading in verse 10. It says, Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them and uh, described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again to join with her and the king tomorrow. Still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the gate all this time. So Haman takes this opportunity to brag. Sorry, I'm a slide behind. Haman takes this opportunity to brag about his personal accomplishments and to brainstorm a way to get back at Mordecai. Apparently, the plan that he's already put into place isn't acting fast enough for Mordecai. Maybe tactical patience is something that, that he should look up into. Uh, so we're going to continue reading into verse 14. It says, His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends told him, Have them build a gallows 75 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he went and had the gallows constructed. So real quick, a couple things. Uh, 75 feet tall is probably meant to be a, a hyperbole. When uh, Zeresh is, is um, telling Haman to make this 75 feet tall, she's purposely... Just saying, just as big as possible, as, as gaudy as possible, do it uh, so that we can get as much attention as possible. It's hyperbolic because 75 feet tall would have made it the tallest structure in the entire city. Um, also, that hyperbole is kind of playing into Haman's personality. Do everything bigger and better than anybody else has ever done in the past. Um, but also, um, the, another point for historical accuracy, uh, in this context, when they're talking about um, making a, gall- a gallows and, and hanging, they're probably not what, uh, referring to what we in the Western mindset would think of as gallows and hanging. Um, but it was probably, well, the Persian Empire was known for impaling people. So this was probably a large sharpened pole that Haman was planning to impale Mordecai on. Lovely details in history here. Um, anyways, what does this mean for Esther and Mordecai? What, is, what, what are they going to do about all this? You know, had, has Esther waited too long to ask the king's uh, request, or to make her request to the king? Uh, is Haman's hateful behavior going to step in and, and thwart God's plan somehow? But remember, the other main theme of this book is hope. And so we're going we're gonna to leave this passage right here, kind of on a, on a cliffhanger, because we know that we can have hope in God. The, message of, the second message of this book is hope. Uh, Esther and Mordecai can have, have hope. Because even though Haman has authority from King Ahasuerus and is planning their destruction, they know that God is in control of the situation. Believers can have hope. Because even though things around us look crazy, and let's face it, 2020 has been a crazy and scary year, God is still in control and he will bring his will. Probably not how we think he should do it, or probably not how we think is best. But let's face it, God is bigger and smarter and stronger than any of us or all of us combined. So we place our hope in him because he will bring his will to come through his perfect knowledge and his perfect love. So what application do we get from this? Now, 
y'all might think I'm cheating a little bit here because these are the same three application points that I've had throughout this book of Esther. This first is to know that God is in control. Second is to be hopeful. And third is to pray that God will work in our country. See, since Esther knew that God was in control, she was able to approach the king with courage. Since Esther knew that God was in control, she was able to have that tactical patience to wait on God's plan. When we know that God is in control, it allows us to follow his will in our life. I said earlier, his will is for you to make disciples. So knowing that God is in control should give us the freedom to do that. It should give us the freedom to go out and be obedient to the Great Commission. But what about the specifics? How specifically do you make disciples? Now, that's a question that I can't answer for you because each of us need to analyze our lives, prayerfully analyze our lives, and ask God for the wisdom on how can I make disciples in my life? How can I use my life to point people towards you? Or maybe even a better prayer would be, God, how can you use my life to turn people towards you and to help others to grow closer to you? The second application point is to be hopeful. We can have hope because we know that God is in control. And even though people are imperfect, he can still work through us. So that plan that God gives us for making disciples, it might be scary. But since God is in control, we can have hope and we can be hopeful that he will bring it about in his will. Also, we look around us with this crazy world and this scary time. We see that people are fearful for what's going on, sometimes for good reason. People are angry about what's going on, sometimes for good reason. But we can have hope because we know that no matter how crazy things get or how painful life gets sometimes, we know what the end looks like. That Jesus will return, that he will defeat evil, that he will establish his perfect kingdom, and that he will rule over the entire world. We can have hope because we are saved by his sacrifice. Is that your hope? If not, then call out to him for salvation. He is faithful to save those who will call out to him. And the final application point is to pray for our nation. Pray that God will work in our nation. Yesterday, our country celebrated its 244th birthday. I do believe that America is the best country in the world, especially when it comes to freedom, safety, opportunity, and many other areas. But our country is not perfect. It still has a lot of room to grow. And I think this year has shown us that. This year has seen a lot of riots, fighting and division and hate. But I do believe that through prayer and following God's direction, gleaned through prayer, that God's people can help to make this country healthier. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we come to you this morning humbly seeking your wisdom and seeking your knowledge and and seeking your love and your comfort, Lord. Lord, we come to you this morning seeking your strength. Lord, we know that your word is truth and that your word is timeless. So, Father, I pray that you will help us to surrender to you through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so that uh, concludes our sermon time and our live stream. If you are planning on joining us for our um, Zoom meeting, for our business meeting, you can go ahead and go over to that link now. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.